0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Welcome to France Elect, a special world review podcast series on the friendship action from the New States. I'm Ido Vock, Europe correspondent at The New Statesman. Following the first round of voting on Sunday, 10th of April, I'm joined by Megan Gibson to discuss the results and look ahead to the second round campaign. Megan, thanks for being here this morning.
2: Ido, good morning. You're in Paris. How was how the mood in Paris and what was it like last night? I understand you were at Macron's campaign event
1: I was at Macron's campaign event, yeah. I would say the mood before the results was quite sombre. There's a kind of slightly weird thing on on election nights because it's illegal to publish any kind of exit poll data before the polls close, but foreign media has no such compulsions. And so you always get these kind of whispered, fairly unreliable exit polls from like Belgian and Swiss pollsters. No one's allowed to, to openly talk about it, but everyone's looking at it. And the one yesterday had Macron and Le Pen tied and in the end the result for Macron was about 27.6% while Le Pen was 23.4% and the exit poll showed roughly that and so that was a pretty big relief for the people at uh, Macron's campaign event I think who expected him to be run a bit closer than than he actually was in the end.
2: Yeah, I wanted to ask about that because obviously in the polls we've seen in recent days and recent weeks we've all kind of expected a, a Macron Le Pen showdown for round 2. And you know, here we are. But were there any surprises last night, or any kind of candidates who did better than expected?
1: So Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who's the far-left candidate, came very, very close to qualifying. It looks like he came within about one point five percent of qualifying for the second round. Behind Lupin, which is obviously a huge disappointment for him personally, but you know, in, a, in its own way, quite a big achievement. And then one thing that's remarkable about these results is that they illustrate the uh, just definitive obliteration of the historical parties of power. So velieu Republican Party and Annie Delgour's Socialist Party polled just 6.5% between them. And if you think about those parties, those are the parties which had shared power for most of recent history up until 2017. And then now they're now just non-existent and i mean it's very hard to imagine how they're going to survive this result like there has to be some kind of uh, realignment following this result ahead of the legislative elections due later this year and instead it probably makes sense to think of the french electorate as split three ways and Political scientists will quibble over the names which should be given to to these three factions. But the fact that the three factions exist is, I think, pretty undeniable at this point. So you've got liberal internationalists represented by Macron, far-right nationalists represented by Le and Zemmour, and left-wing radicals uh, represented by Mélenchon. And these three factions together polled about 80% of the vote. And that's pretty unprecedented in 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 French history.
2: I wanted to ask you about the far right. I mean, because Le Pen and Zemmour together collectively took 30% of the vote. And it seems quite staggering, especially in this particular moment. You know, there's a war in Ukraine launched by Vladimir Putin, who, you know, Zemmour and Le Pen have both publicly supported in the past. What do you think is the kind of the future of the far Right.
1: So a full third of voters uh, went for Le Pen Zemmour or Nicolet Dubourgnon, who's another nationalist candidate. And whether she wins or not, Le Pen is all but certain to lead the far right to its best result in modern history in France. It'll be really interesting to see how she deals with uh, the endorsement of Zemmour who backed her uh, for the second round last night, so in his concession speech. I think you can ascribe a large part of the reason for her success to Zimwolf being more extreme than her. And so mechanically, her being able to disavow some of his most extreme positions, such as setting up a ministry for deportations or not distinguishing at all between Islam and Islamism, that allowed her to present herself and kind of be perceived as a moderate candidate. And he he did back her for the second round last night in his concession speech. And it's going to be very interesting to see how she deals with that endorsement. My guess would be that she will treat it at arm's length, if at all, because it's more valuable for her to at least get left-wing voters to stay at home, if not actively back her, than it is to get the far-right voters represented by Zemmour, who are going to largely split for her anyway. It's more valuable for her to not scare left-wingers and to make them think that there is not enough urgency for them to turn out and vote for Macron against her than it is for her to appeal to Zemmour's voters.
2: That seems quite astounding to me. I mean, the logic of the strategy seems sound, but I think it feels looking at who Le Pen is as a figure and how polarizing she is and how well known she is to the French electorate, it seems surprising to me that people on the left and the far left would be at all swayed to not only vote for her, but, you know, just be so blasé about the idea of her becoming president that they would stay home.
1: I mean, bluntly, she is not polarizing like she was in 2012, like she was in 2017. She's almost certainly going to lead the far right to its best result in electoral history because she is not polarizing. In large part, that's because uh Zimur has kind of taken the bogeyman effect away from her. And so he is he's polarizing. He's scary. You know, two people can't be as can't be can't be equally terrifying. And so um okay. she now scares left-wing voters much less than she did five years ago or 10 years ago. And once again, my guess is that she will refuse to share a stage with Zimur, even though, you know, theoretically, if she wins, perhaps he could be her prime minister or something. She will refuse to share a stage with him in order not to be tarnished by his extremism, which would very severely damage the perception of moderation, which she has worked hard to generate and, and effectively generate.
2: And what about Macron? I mean, my impression is that he's been a bit aloof or even complacent in in the campaign up until now. Do you think we're going to see a renewed energy from him?
1: Yeah. Uh, so I, at his campaign event, I saw I saw Macron. I would say his speech was fairly positive, pretty energetic, relatively open to to the people who who didn't back him or that he knows he needs to convince to lend him their vote ahead of the second round if he wants to win. And there was there was a lot of energy to it, I've got to say. At the same time, his challenge will be persuading the voters that he needs to win, that he is sincere in his desire to to reach out to them and those are voters, especially on the left. As I've spoken about voters who feel that they have been ignored, taken for granted since 2017 when they lent him their votes. On issues like the cost of living, uh, Lupin is as trusted or more trusted than Macron. And his, his challenge will be convincing voters on the left, especially that he is worth lending their vote to. And he did recognise that in his speech. He said, I know many people will be backing me in the second round, not because they back my politics, but to oppose the far right. and And I recognise that. And his challenge will be getting enough people to turn out, to vote for him rather than just stay at home.
2: Yeah, because that's something we haven't talked about is the low voter turnout last night. What was the expectation when it was being reported that the the low voter turnout, how was it expected in from the campaign event and from the people you were speaking to about who that was going to harm the most?
1: Turnout was down uh, between three and 4%, which is, you know, in the scale of things, not a huge, not a huge variation. I think the general expectation is that low turnout benefits Lupin because her voters are relatively motivated while a lot of Macron's voters are not. But I I do think that the relatively high turnout people had been expecting uh, lower turnout, I do think that's at least in part probably a function of polls which in the last week before voting had shown lupin doing really 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 well you know we had a poll exclusively for the new statesman last week showing lupin on 49 percent to macron's 51 percent in the second round which is a statistical dead heat and so i think the higher than expected turnout and better than expected result for macron is possibly in part a result of voters who might have been relatively apathetic Saying, "Oh well, she she really can win. I've got to I've got to turn out, rather than just not bothering." Um, Macron's going to win anyway, and there is a chance that that will damage Macron paradoxically in the second round because voters who had turned out this time may say, "Oh well, he did better than expected. Um, he's going to win anyway in the second round. There is no point turning out." And again, convincing those voters that they need to turn out, they need to vote, that she really could win that he is not assured will be his challenge.
2: So obviously we have two weeks until the second round. What are the key things or events that people should watch out in these coming weeks?
1: So I would say The single key event will be the debate between the two candidates for a few reasons. First of all, Macron refused to directly debate with his first round opponents ahead of of this round, which he was roundly criticised for. Second, Lupin did so badly at the last debate. She obviously faced Macron in 2017. She did so badly at that debate. It's, It's widely remembered as a complete disaster that many people I talk to think that she she cannot do anything but overperform on expectations. She has to do better than what she did last time. And so for, for a few reasons. So one, she's been practicing. She does a lot of debating, whereas Macron, he's president. He doesn't have, have that much time for debating. And also, even if Macron wins overall... The fact that she's almost certain to do better than last time means that she will be seen to have improved and she's kind of grading on a curve, right? And that that should benefit her. And so I would say the key event to watch, obviously you can't predict what's going to happen uh, in the next two weeks. There might be something unexpected, which turns out. But um, I would say the key event will be that debate and how Lubin in particular performs and how she's viewed as having having performed.
2: One thing I wanted to ask is... It seems like Le Pen hasn't really been challenged that much about her association and her support for Putin until now. And surely that is going to become a more prominent fact of the campaign? Or or do you think that it's really all about domestic issues at this point?
1: A lot of the kind of surrogates who were on TV last night, a lot of the people I spoke to really hammered this point home. Le Pen, Putin, Le Pen, Putin, Le Pen, Putin. Uh so I think she's she's escaped most of the fallout from the war in Ukraine politically for primarily the reason that zimbabwe was so much more unapologetically Putinist. Lupin has after, after such a long time in politics, she has quite good political instincts. She quickly attempted to to some extent to distance herself from Putin. She said, we need to welcome Ukrainian refugees. And Zimow did none of that. He was still unapologetically Putinist, to the point at which there was a radio interview in which he was asked, are you still on the side of France? And for a nationalist candidate that's... You know, it's pretty devastating, right? Rose Lupin, she said, we need to welcome Ukrainian refugees. And she distanced herself a little from her past Putinism. I would expect that the Putin line will be pushed quite hard by Macron's side in the inter-round period. Now, of course, this is not something new. Voters have known that she has been associated with Putin. You know, she's, she's met him. Her party has received loans from Russian banks. She's relatively anti-sanctions, it remains to be seen how much that can hurt her. And again, when the main issue is the cost of living, which Lubin is very strong on, unfortunately, sanctions exacerbate that, right? If there is, a, for example, you know, sanctions on oil and gas, that will result in higher costs for European and, and French consumers. And her argument is that you shouldn't compound the misery in Ukraine with misery for French consumers and French households. And so this kind of association with Putin politically cuts both ways. You can either argue that it's morally debased, that she's a stooge, that she would sell out France or lose France, all its allies in Europe and so on, which is what Macron is going to do. But you can also say that uh, it might help her alleviate the cost of living crisis if she argues against sanctions and has minimises sanctions, which ultimately... Unfortunately, do result in higher costs for French consumers. Which side of the argument wins, I think, or is most convincing to voters, will be a big part of the result that we see in two weeks.
2: And that's definitely be a question that we'll be following. Listener's question: I also wanted to flag your very good live blog from last night, which is still up. If our listeners want to go back and see some of the scenes from the night.
1: If you're enjoying France Elects, you might want to consider subscribing. We have a special offer for podcast listeners, 12 weeks for £12 or €12 in Europe. Just go to newstatesman.com slash podcast offer. And you can read all our international coverage at newstatesman.com slash international.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb dot com slash host
2: And we have a special You ask us. For this episode, this question comes from James Rawson in London. And he says, why do French presidents not seem to get an incumbency boost?
1: Macron did get an incumbency boost. Um, In the first round in 2017, he gained 24%. And this time he gained about 27.6%, which is not a huge increase, but a modest increase. And, you know, he still is... He's not a shoo-in for re-election by any means, but he's the favorite to win, and he would be the first French president in 20 years to win. But in general, yes, I think lots of French presidents fail to, to get re-elected. It's a cliche, but it is true. Um, pre- French hate their presidents. Um, approval ratings tend to tank during the, the president's term in office. And there's a very strong um, instinct of what the French call digagisme, i.e., get them out ism in, in French politics. It remains to be seen whether um, Macron can, can bug that trend. He is still odds on favourite to to do so. But the tightening polls that we've seen in the past few weeks do indicate that uh he's absolutely no long no longer a kind of uh, certain shoe in for re election. Um and he could well fail to to buck the trend. Fascinating. That's it for this episode of France Selects. I hope you'll join us for the next one. Our producer has been Adrian Bradley. Thanks for listening and until next time.